speak of the devil and Carl Anker will appear. Hello everyone, welcome to Talk of the Devils, the brand new Manchester United podcast at The Athletic. I'm pleased to say I'm joined here today by Laurie Ritwell, the Athletic writer and leading authority on the red half of Manchester, who has just been speaking to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Laurie, how are you? I'm good, Carl, thank you, and, and thanks for saying leading authority. I guess that's in the contract, but, but appreciate you saying it nonetheless. Hey, hey, I've seen your dance moves. You're definitely <laughs> leading authority in my eyes. Uh, how was Oli sounding in his press conference? It was good, yeah. Um, I mean, he, the, kind of the main point was him wanting to bring clarity to the Marcus Rashford injury situation. Did he have a single stress fracture in his back before the Wolves game? Did he not? He was very uh, sort of determined to make it clear that United have looked after uh, Rashford prior to this point and will do so for the duration that he's, he's going to be out for, which obviously could be quite a long time. We will be getting to Marcus Rashford and the curious case of his back and or ankle very, very soon. But uh, another one we want to say hello to is journalist and author Andy Mitten, who is also on the line. Loads of United fans will know Andy. He's founded the best-selling United We Stand fanzine as a 15-year-old, and he also runs the podcast with the same name. And he's going to be on our podcast every week, hopefully, uh, to bring us insight from fans who go home and away to Manchester United, as well as his own unique acerbic take. Andy, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I heard your great-uncle play for Manchester United, did he? Yeah, Charlie was a big star in Sir Matt Busby's first uh, great team at the end of the 40s. And I'm from a big football-playing family. Charlie was the main man. He was one of the first British players to move abroad. He went to Bogota in 1950. He, he didn't always lead the completely clean life, but he was a fantastic footballer. And I, I grew up going to see him uh, very frequently at his house in Old Trafford and, and hearing stories of... A great career, not just at United, but he played for Fulham. He was a record transfer signing. He managed Newcastle United, Mansfield Town. So he was full of stories and very strong opinions as well. Well, I would love to go through some of these stories and um, talk about Manchester United past, present and future on this podcast. But for today, we have a lot to talk about. And I really want to start first and foremost. Laurie, please, let's start with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's press conference. He did his press conference on uh, Tuesday morning, what did he have to say? He was kind of a bit under pressure, really, because you know, the defeat at Anfield paints uh, the different uh, situations of the clubs you know, all the more starkly, doesn't it? You know, Liverpool singing about we're going to win the league uh, and their incredible run, and United obviously on course for their uh, worst points total in the Premier League era, um, albeit obviously with the rebuild that is taking place and the fact that Ollie's given a lot of chances to younger players I think everyone appreciates that um, but but nonetheless you know you look at Liverpool and how they've recruited so smartly um, obviously the squad cost you know not as much as United's does um, the atmosphere they've got around the place they've got a very charismatic manager so it obviously just paints everything in, in United's um, that's going on at United in, in a sort of different light there um, the main sort of news kind of point was him talking about Marcus Rashford. Obviously, he wasn't at the game um, at Anfield. He won't be at any games for a long time, um, for the foreseeable, really. And, and the kind of the crucial question is, did he have a single stress fracture in his back going into the Wolves game, as was reported? Solskjaer is saying that that wasn't the case. He said that he had a back problem after the Burnley game, the first Burnley game at Turf Moor, sort of three weeks ago. Um, was sort of struggling with that a little bit, but there were, there were checks, there were constant medical updates. Um, United were giving him days off he came off obviously in a few matches came off after about an hour in the Norwich game he also came off after an hour in the Newcastle game which was before the Burnley game and obviously he didn't start either the Wolf game in the FA Cup but he did obviously come on at Old Trafford he came on at, at Molyneux as well trying to win the game Solskjaer says that he had a conversation with him two days before the uh, game against Wolves at Old Trafford and, and, and Rashford was saying absolutely adamant that he's fine to play for 30 minutes if, if it needs be and they wanted to go through in the FA Cup and obviously he did play a part in, in the 
winning goals, sort of occupying Leandro Dononka. So then Martial could uh, slip in one matter, great little finish. But obviously he takes that knock from Matt Doherty and now we're in a position where he's got a double stress fracture in his back. And obviously we've heard from Robbie Van Persie talk about how it's a very difficult injury to properly heal from in terms of him saying that he still feels a little bit of pain in that area, um, or, or sorry, sensitivity rather. Jamie O'Hara has, has been quite critical um, if United did allow him to play with a single stress fracture. And Ian Wright's also come out and said that Solskjaer was putting himself first rather than the club uh, by playing Rashford in, in that game against Wolves. So Solskjaer clearly feels, I think, um, scrutiny uh, from that sense. And wanted to put his point across and usually he's very guarded on, on what he says about injuries but here he was saying very clearly as I've, as I've described already that that was the situation with, with Rashford I guess you know you can always ask the question you know was it a risk to, to play him he he, he christened uh, somebody called Harry Hindsight and said yes he's, he's a, obviously everyone's perfect with Harry Hindsight so I can sense that that's a, it's an issue that I think he, he does feel um, willing to sort of address um, rather than usually he's very guarded over injuries so it's, it's a difficult one to judge but clearly United are in a much worse position without Marcus Rashford you know scorer of so many goals this season half half their goals I think he's, he's either scored or assisted so um, he's going to be a massive loss um, for, the, for the you know few weeks to come and you thought look at it and think Champions League qualification is, is going to be an extremely difficult task Andy let's throw it over to you just the boy wonder Marcus Rashford done good is it a case of Rashford being over eager to play football or the medical team playing him into the ground how are you feeling as the fan thinking oh my god look what they've done to our beautiful boy the great this feeling I have is that he'll be missed because he's been having his best season as a Manchester United player he's never been a prolific goal scorer he's often scored great goals but He's scoring a lot more this season and Manchester United need Rashford. The squad is light, especially with injuries to Paul Pogba and Scott McTominay. And had those three been starting at Anfield at the weekend, I'm not saying United would have won, but I'm sure it would have been different. I know that on on Friday, uh, I was told he's going to be out for weeks, if not months. And I think the club didn't want that getting out because they didn't want Liverpool to know that piece of information. I was also told on Friday night he was at the cinema with with Jesse Lingard. Uh, not that that makes much difference to how Manchester United did it at Anfield on Sunday. He's a big miss. He's um, he, he, a year ago he was having a frustrating time. Barcelona were definitely interested. I wrote that story at the time. They saw him as someone who was young, uh, fast, uh, who could play across the front three. And those stories were genuine. They also felt that Manchester United would never sell Marcus Rashford. And I don't think they've got any intention of selling Marcus Rashford. But the squad, as I feared at the start of the season, if they picked up injuries, would start to look too light compared to the stronger teams. And we're now in that situation. The transfer window is open. And I think that United need to bring... Uh, players in now, even if it's on loan, because they are desperate. They're trying not to say that they're desperate, and I can understand that because it doesn't help the market position. But the squad is light. Look at it. And not only because they're still in the cup competitions, there's two games a week every week. Manchester United had six home games in, in December. It's unheard of. The Wolves uh, replay didn't help either. And obviously, United are going to beat Manchester City 4-1 in the League Cup. So that's going to be another game when they get to Wembley. And uh, without Marcus Rashford, it's, it's going to be much more difficult. I like Mason Greenwood. I think he's a fantastic talent, but he's still very, very young. And it's a huge demand to put a, 
uh, onto, onto a player like that to ask him to lead the line and and to play every week. And then you've got Anthony Martial, hugely talented. I'm not convinced that he's, he's a centre-forward, even though he's, he's a very good finisher. Is that your sort of fan perspective there? As a like-for-like -like change right now, just plug Greenwood in, play him at the tip of the spear and then move Martial at left? I don't think there's, there's that many options. Um, you can play different options behind, but... If you're missing the main man, and you're obviously taking out the goals of, of Romelu Lukaku as well. Alexis Sanchez was someone who could have played uh, in a central role. He often did that effectively. Not at Manchester United, I might add. So there's, there's a shortage of options there. I think the best case scenario is that Rashford comes back as soon as possible. But we're already towards the end of January now. It's a really bad time to pick up what's looking like a, a more serious injury than when Ole Gunnar first described it as being... As been days and suggesting that he might be able to play against Liverpool. Uh, I like Greenwood a lot. I, I think his scoring record is a good one. He seems to have that natural instinct to score. But this is Manchester United. It's one of the three biggest football clubs in the world. You shouldn't really be relying on on such a, a young player with so many games. And whether those weight, the weight and number of those games has contributed to Marcus Rashford's injury is, is another factor because there's been so many games. Because the team have actually, although the league form's been all over the shop, they've done well in the Cup so far. And the Europa League, it has more games in the Champions League. And I still think that is a competition United should be going out to win. I think it's really important to try and win that just as they did in 2017. However, I'm less optimistic of them winning it um, than I was... Uh, in 2017 when Mourinho did a tactical masterclass against Ajax and he, he took a risk. He said, I'm going to go and win this. This is going to get us into the Champions League. And the risk to do that in a cup competition is high, but it, it paid off for him. It is dramatically changing times at Manchester United. Also, now we're getting to a wider discussion as to how uh, talented Manchester United's medical staff is, obviously. Marcus Rashford joins Paul Pogba, Scott McTominay and other injured personnel. There were question marks over Harry Maguire and his supposed hip strain as well. Harry Maguire seems to be... He played the full 90 minutes against Liverpool and was seems to be fine. Laurie, can you give us a little bit more about Harry Maguire's fitness? Yeah, I think he's, he's OK. I mean, obviously, um, it was a, a worry again, um, that one when it came out in terms of his... Uh, the hip muscle that he had. I mean, he says it was only a small um, muscle. I guess all muscles are there for a reason, though. So you don't want to be, um, you know, playing with too many strains like that. But he's obviously a player that will put his put his body on the line. I suppose this is where we ask the question. Um, you know, Solskjaer spoke about himself. Um, you know, in his press conference, he obviously suffered injuries in his career and, and probably put himself out there. Maybe when alternatively he could have rested. And he said, but he was proud to do that because it's Manchester United. I suppose it's a it's a philosophical question, really. You know, do you go on the field? You know, eight percent fit, eighty five percent fit. You know, do you draw the line there? You know, we've we've seen with numerous players throughout the years who only will want to play when they're one hundred percent fit because they value their bodies. So it's a it's a debate to be had. You know, Scott McTominay obviously um, played on when he had a, his knee injury against Newcastle. Um, we've we've had the, the various sort of sides of the Paul Pogba saga, um, but again, it's it's a question: where do you draw the line on? players playing through pain. I suppose the issue is, as Andy described then, it goes back to, do you have a squad there that can cope with allowing these players time off um, when they are, when it is that kind of question about them? Um, Rashford, for example, uh, missed the Rochdale game in its entirety, and obviously Astana, as, as a lot of other players did, and the Alkmaar game at home. 
they're the only three matches that he's not played in this season and, and the, obviously the pressure has been on for him to keep playing and performing because he's been so crucial to United um, and as, as, as I wrote in, in my athletic piece this week um, the fact that he was at the hotel football event with, with Ryan Giggs and, and some school children and it, it looked like he was in pain there in terms of um, well severe discomfort at least is, is how one description uh, was coming to me uh, you know in terms of sitting down so it, it's clearly something that was was aching him and he's had this uh, machine with him the the bone um, healing machine the ultrasound uh, Malmec I think it's called it's, it's used in the past but clearly him actually having it ahead of the Norwich game in his hands sort of was an indication of, of something that he, he wanted to address um, I spoke to Mark Leather who's a, a former physio for Liverpool and he said that the uh, bone stresses like this stress fractures uh, occur you know over time it, it's it's not a, a one-off knock um, so it's it's something that um, he basically described it as you know as a straw that breaks the camel's back and obviously quite literally in this sense when, when Doherty you know slid into uh, to Rashford and he, he took that bang so it's, it's clearly that the, the number of matches that he's been playing has been the contributing factor to this and, and ultimately his, his body is, is breaking down I suppose you could also level you know the accusation that the governing bodies that we've had from numerous uh, managers, Jurgen Klopp, obviously, and Steve Bruce have been very vocal in this in terms of just playing too many games. And obviously, Rashford's been playing for England during the international breaks. Um, you know, when do you get these these rests? Obviously, the winter break will come just you know a couple of weeks too late. Really, it, you know, you kind of think could it could it have um, held on until then? But um, yeah, so th there's obviously questions to, to to answer from United in, in terms of the medical department, just purely because of, of these injuries. I, you know, you might say it's just bad look um, but I think the questions it's, it's sort of fair to be asked given given they have they are in this situation but I, I think sorry going back to again my point about the squad you know really I don't think a club of, of the scale of Manchester United should be in this position where they're having to now rely on an 18 year old in Mason Greenwood to perhaps produce the goods or, or Juan Matt who's obviously over 30 and and you know albeit he's, he's played well in the last few weeks he's not the guy that you want to sort of build your team around so which is what Solskjaer was talking about and I, I take the point totally that if they'd assigned a striker to replace Lukaku or Sanchez, maybe Greenwood wouldn't have had as many chances and maybe we wouldn't have seen Marshall or Rashford produce these kind of, uh, of standards. But at the same time, clearly there needed to be at least one replacement for, for, for Sanchez and Lukaku going out. You can't be in Manchester United and sort of getting so thin so quickly. Let's talk about this thin squad and potential incomings. Are there any transfer updates? Can you give me a ray of hope, Laurie? Please, please. <laughs> I wish I could. Any I'm, name. I really... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the quote. I put a tweet out earlier and said, you know, any questions for this podcast? And, and the first, you know, four straight away transfers, 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 which I can totally understand from from a fan perspective because the the squad, you know, it does need, you know, we talk about this rebuild. How long do you give it? You know, I, I just think that. Yeah, okay, I admit that you want players that want to play for you, you want them at a good price, you know, you can't be held to ransom, but there's a, there's a speed to these things that then, you know, snowball. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, the Bruno Fernandes thing is obviously ongoing. United are saying that, um, and I can totally understand the point of view, that he's not worth 80 million if that's what Sporting Lisbon have put price on him for. Uh, they're looking, I think, more more fifty million euros. Um, you know, so that that could still happen. I think, you know, I've I've got an impression that that could happen. Um, I think the player is more than willing to come. Um, I don't think that will be an issue uh, once it gets to that stage. But clearly, the price is 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 a factor. And obviously, United last summer were very. 
um, irritated by the uh, consistent links to Fernandez, feeling that it was uh, you know either sporting or, or sort of agents acting on on the club's behalf trying to push the deal through. So you know you have to treat it with a bit of um, caution. Um, but I just feel like at this point in time, United really a, a signing would would give such a lift, and clearly he's a player that that would improve the improve the squad as you say also they need a striker you know Edinson Cavani could he be one that they could go for so far I've heard nothing on that front but I, you know I think a short term loan to, to, to lift the team and it goes back they're in from Mario Mandzukic last summer for example and he clearly wouldn't have been a guy that you um, sort of lean on for, for, for you know a set number of goals or somebody that you're going to then you know be your main guy for the season but he clearly could have stepped in at certain points during the season if they'd have managed to sign him um, and he, you know, could have one alleviated the, the pressure for Rashford to perform, or he would have maybe, you know, scored an equaliser against Palace or something. You know, I, I suppose I'm speaking in hypotheticals, but I just feel like that would have been a, a more rounded way to approach the market. So I think they should try and do something in this window now because I think if you're going to go three more months without, you know, your main striker, it's going to be very, very difficult to succeed in any of the competitions. More talk about our friend, Mr. Harry Hindsight. I think he might be the best signing. <laughs> We're going to get in the January transfer window. <laughs> Andy, you wrote an excellent piece on the Athletic this week about what it's like to be a Manchester United fan going to Anfield. I love it. I love the edge between Manchester United and Liverpool. A lot depends on the result. Probably the best atmosphere I saw in the whole of the last decade was in the Europa League game at Anfield in 2016. I remember going up to a Liverpool fan before the game recording a podcast and thinking, he looks pretty switched on, he looks like a scouse lad, he might know his stuff, and saying to him, any chance can have a word for a, a Manchester United podcast? And he looked at me and just said, I'd rather give you my liver. <laughs> and it was, it was absolutely withering. Um, I like the rivalry between the two clubs. I don't like it if it descends into songs about, about tragedies. But I love the fact that we've got these two huge clubs, the biggest clubs in England, both by far and away the most successful teams in English football and just going at each other, singing songs about Manchester, about Liverpool and even when United have been bad there, I always remember a game in 1990 where United lost 4-0, that's probably the best atmosphere in the away end at Anfield, so it doesn't always correspond with how well the team's doing and earlier this season I think Liverpool are probably the quietest fans to come to Old Trafford this year. They're clearly brilliant. They've got a brilliant manager. They're the European champions. They're the world champions. It delights me saying all of this, as you can imagine. But it was weird at Old Trafford in in in, in October. I think on Sunday, hearing Liverpool fans singing about going to win the league and knowing that it's going to be, it's going to happen. Well, it's awful. The worst time I've been at Anfield was '92. I walked out of the the Anfield Road. And I was a young lad and Anfield had been singing, um, have you ever seen United win the league? There was flags there saying uh, form is temporary, class is permanent. And I was speaking to my elders as I walked back across Stanley Park, which wasn't a place for the faint-hearted. You know, there was still, wasn't as bad as it was in the 80s. And I'm a bit too young for that, but there's definitely an edge there. And you definitely didn't want to be outed as a Mancunian. And all the United fans were saying to me, I doubt we'll ever win the league. It's just not something we do. And that was the worst time ever going to Anfield. But there's been some brilliant, brilliant moments there. And I love going to Liverpool. I wake up whenever Manchester United play Liverpool and I really look forward to those games, as I would if it was against Leeds United or Manchester City. And that optimism can evaporate after 10 minutes. 
And clearly now, Liverpool are the, are the top dogs. They are having their moment in the sun. And unfortunately for United, it's coinciding with a, a real downturn for Manchester United. But I think you've just got to take it on the chin. You don't have to like it. But for 20 years, we've gone there and absolutely hammered them. I can remember Liverpool winning the treble in 2001, I think it was. And United fans laughing at it and accusing it of being a Mickey Mouse treble because it was only the UEFA Cup, the League Cup and the FA Cup. I'd give my right arm for one of those trophies as a United fan this season. So we've gone from laughing at them for playing in, in, in the Europa League, UEFA Cup, playing on a Thursday night, to now being pretty much like Liverpool were before Jurgen Klopp came in charge. And this happens in football. It's what kills you, but it's what makes football great. And I'm sure United will rise again. I'm sure they'll get back on the perch again. It's just pretty difficult to see a way out of, of the tunnel that Manchester United are in at the moment because there hasn't been a sustained upturn that we need. What's the sort of feeling from Manchester United fans right now when you're going home and away and you know your team is maybe only the seventh, sixth best team in England right now? I think it, there's a defiance, but that is the reality for most football fans around the world. Most football fans do not see their team uh, win trophies. When I started going to United, trophies were never something that I expected. I just went to watch my local football team and, and they happened to be Manchester United. Now, clearly, the club have got a global support and some of United's best fans are from, from nowhere near uh, Manchester. But that support... United was the best supported team even when they were in the, the second division with average crowds of 47,000 when Liverpool were, were winning absolutely everything. And just because the, the team might play badly or they lose a game, it doesn't mean you've had a terrible day. You can still go away with your mates to a different city or especially for European games. You can still have a good time. You can still have a good laugh. I think that's the reality for most football fans. But the game is often the low point when they're not winning. And United's form this year has been pretty poor. But the away following, the original in the chance that they sing, I think the backing they give. I mean, I know even Scousers, Geordies, Brummies, and who, who hate Man United, but they will say that their away following is one of the best. That's where your hardcore fans are. They're very, very loud. Um, and... and they sell out every single game. You can't get tickets are really hard to get hold of. They're often subs, oversubscribed three, four, five times. And the fans are going to carry on going. They just, of course, they'd like it to be much, much better. But that doesn't stop them making up original songs and, and the flags and, and having that terrorist humour and being good football fans. And I think a lot of United's hardcore, they are very good football fans. They'll follow the team through thick and thin. One uh, notable brand new chant that has been uh, sung recently by Manchester United fans is one of uh, anti-Glazer and anti-Ed Woodward intent. Laurie, what sort of atmosphere are you going to expect at Old Trafford on Wednesday? Yeah, I suppose it, it could get that way, actually, um, with it being, uh, you know, the situation that they're in. Um, obviously, a night game is always a little bit more edge, I suppose, under the floodlights, isn't there? The Norwich thing, I guess, came, you know, in a week in which we um, you know, were, were told, again, of his, of his uh, remuneration. So, I guess it was in the news. But also, it kind of struck me as interesting, the fact that they were winning the game pretty comfortably and, and it, that was what their minds turned to. It was it was quite interesting to be in the stadium at that point because it, it was obviously from the, the Red Army section. I, I won't call them the singing section. Andy's told me off for calling them the singing section before, so I'll, I'll make sure it's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, and it then it spread out, you know, throughout, you know, to to um, to the K stand and, and sort of bit the south stand, bit the north stand. So it, it it was kind of notable. And obviously, you know, Edward Wood was in the stand. I told his wife was there, and I think it was probably uncomfortable for him. So we'll see. You know, um, clearly there's there's. Um, fans that will go to the games that will have that on their mind. I guess it just depends what kind of match we see. Um, but I could, I could, I could particularly, you know, I could, I could see it happening that way. You know, given that the squad is is now thin and and we, you know we haven't made any more signings. I think that's what that kind of what agitates fans. And obviously, as I said earlier, when you see Liverpool doing it so right, you know, that's obviously just going to exacerbate the issue. I wonder if there can be any questions about the uh, nebulous phantom director of football that we've been promised. At Manchester United for the past 17 months there as well. Uh, what are you expecting from Manchester United on the pitch in terms of X's and O's? So it's five at the back. Luke Shaw is a left-sided centre-back against Liverpool. You're going to change to a flat-back four against Burnley? You'd imagine so, wouldn't you? I mean, the the, the game at Turf Moor was actually um, one of United's best this season, um, I think, in terms of the, the kind of control and, and the creating of chances. Burnley were, were pretty bad, to be fair, though. So, you know, are they going to be as bad now? They obviously had a spirited performance against Leicester at the weekend where they, you know, they, they could have crumbled, but actually they, they sort of turned it around second half. So I, I, you certainly can't take for granted what Burnley are going to produce. Um, I, I would imagine that the, the back five was a sort of bespoke system for, for Liverpool, you know, clearly to stop their fullbacks getting on so I guess they'd go back to a back four um, but but Luke Shaw played you know pretty well he was probably United's best player at Anfield I would say um, so will it be him or Williams um, will will he try and get both in there's a, there's a little bit of an injury doubt over Victor Lindelof who uh, was sent home from training um, obviously the day before the Burnley game so we're talking Tuesday morning um, with an illness so will he be back fit um, who will partner Maguire um, and then yeah as you say up top I suppose you know you think it'd have to be Greenwood to start um, perhaps with with, with Mata Marshall Dan James in, in sort of a four you know perhaps Pereira as well but the options aren't, aren't great for United which is, is crazy really I know they've, they've had a few injury problems but you know to get to this stage and, and have to sort of really shuffle the deck in such a way is, is kind of um, well it's, it's just not really the way it should be done I, I do think United still would probably have too too much for Burnley but it, it's going to be a close game I think Laurie please tell me is Paul Pogba is the glass going to smash Paul Pogba's going to appear and make everything work better for the next couple of weeks please I think I think I think I'm sorry, I think you might be wishful thinking there, Carl. He's, he's a little bit uh, away off yet. Um, obviously, he was enjoying himself Paris Fashion Week, um, which again you just sort of think was it really the, the best sort of image to be portraying on a weekend when United are playing Liverpool. But hey ho, we, we, we're long used to this from from Paul Pogba. Um, so yeah, but I think that might be a little while off. Um, so I, it's really it's kind of just getting through these games. It, it's not the positivity that I think we had, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago um, for sort of stuff culminating. It kind of seems to be, you know, disappearing a little bit. Um, I think the FA Cup replay, you know, we've already seen Nigel Pearson, I think, say that he probably won't field a strong team against Tranmere, but equally then does that play on into the Sunday game? Uh, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I think that is a game that, you know, ideally United would, would you know, have had elsewhere, you know, maybe at home against a slightly, you know, like a, a League One team perhaps if they could have. But um, listen, it's, it is what it is. They obviously played against Wolves to, to, to get through and, and this is what they've got now. So uh, we'll see. But, you know, maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but I just think it's a, a case of getting through the next games as, as best they can, really. But please, listener, persist. Continue to listen to Talk of the Devils. We're going to have plenty more content throughout the season, plenty more guests, plenty more Manchester United insight. For now, I want to say thank you so much to Laurie. Thank you, Carl. And to Andy. Cheers, Carl. And don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic to hear this show and many more podcasts for your preferred podcast outlets. 
You can sign up right now to The Athletic and get 40% discount by using the promo code UNITEDPOD. Our show will be available for free via the usual podcast providers. Thanks for listening to the very first episode of Talk of the Devil podcast, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back next week. Speak of the Devil and Karl Anker will appear. Later, humanoids. <laughs>